are you ready for God's word, third service? Are you? Good, 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 good. Now, I have a couple things before we get started. Did you enjoy Brother Brady Webster's message on forgiveness? Wow. (laughs) One of the biggest doors you can leave open for the enemy is unforgiveness. And so you want to you want to experience the forgiveness of God and, and the true, to close the circle of forgiveness is you experience it freely. You have received it now. What does the Bible say? Now freely give it. Freely give it. And so when you experience forgiveness and you give forgiveness, you're closing the loop and the Lord begins to do his work in your life. Um, that was amazing, that message. How about the one-two punch right after that or, or the next Sunday was Brother Jamie Savannah Wow, what a message on the armor of God, learning lessons, life lessons like patience and remembering them, putting on the full armor of God, sealing it all up with prayer, amen? Well, as he took his, pass, uh, uh, his message out of the passage of uh, Ephesians 6, I want to I dovetail off of that, and so today I want to talk to you about the unseen battle. So he talked about putting on the armor for the battle. I want to talk to you about the battle. What are you dealing with? So we're going to cover a couple of things. And the first point I want to bring up to you is, what are we dealing with? What are we dealing with? When we talk about this unseen battle. Well, the Bible says that there is a physical world And there is a spiritual world. The Bible is very clear about this. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul addresses the Corinthian church this way. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18, he says, While we do not look at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. So Paul is saying, I try to put my eyes on the things that are unseen. Well, wait a minute. How can you look at something that's unseen? This is why the Bible says you got to ask for eyes to see and ears to hear. What kind of eyes? What kind of ears? Spiritual eyes, spiritual ears. You go, whoa, what are we talking about? Stay with me. You'll see what the Bible says here. Which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. But the things which are unseen are eternal. So what Paul is saying here is we're so used to living in this physical world and relating to it through our senses. Our physical sight, smell, taste, touch, the rest of the senses. But I'm asking you, Paul, Paul is saying, to consider that which is unseen. Things like faith, things like peace and joy, eternal life, the things which only God can give and you receive them in a spiritual sense before you can, before you can truly experience them in the physical, you've got to receive them in the spiritual. Amen? And so what I'm here to tell you is this, there is an unseen world. Paul goes on to tell the the Ephesian church. Now, we just read what what he wrote to the Corinthian church. Now, to the church of Ephesus, he says this. He says, therefore, I also say, 
After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you. Making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. What is he talking about here? He's saying, first of all, I never stop praying for you. I give thanks for you. I lift you up and I ask that the spirit of wisdom would illuminate the eyes of your heart so that you can see what's happening and live up to the full potential of this magnificent life Jesus Christ came to give you. This is what he's talking about. Now, I'm going to share a couple more things with you about the book of Ephesians that I didn't include verses for because I hadn't planned to share them, but in first service, the Spirit moved me. And so this is third service. I have a little bit more time now. And I can really just, just unfold just a little bit. But I think I've, I've refined it. So, Booth, I'm sorry. I won't keep you much longer. The Booth has heard it three times. This will be the third time. But um, I will say this. Paul is talking to the Ephesian church about very spiritual matters. He says, I want your eyes to be open. He says that you might understand this thing Christ predestined you to. What does it mean to be predestined? That means God predetermined to make you free. It was always his will that you would have a choice. And so by choice, by by our free will, we receive Christ. And we are saved by his grace. This is what he goes into in chapter 2. So this is chapter 1. Chapter 2, he says, For by grace you have been saved. Through what? Faith. It's not something you earned. Therefore, you cannot boast about it. But you are God's what? Workmanship or masterpieces created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Think about that. You have been saved for something awesome. And you've been saved by the power of Jesus Christ. Isn't this amazing? This is what he's telling the people. So he's saying this. He says, I want your eyes to be opened to this magnificent work of salvation that Christ did for you. That you may have it deep in your heart. I'm a masterpiece created to walk out these magnificent plans that God has for me. In Christ Jesus. In chapter 3, he goes on to say that you might be able to catch a glimpse. Because all you need is a glimpse of God's love for you. Because with a glimpse of God's love... It changes everything. You'll get, a, you'll get a glimpse, an inkling of how deep and how wide, how long and how high his love is. See, because God's love, according to 1 John chapter 4, 4 through the end of the chapter, verse 4 through the end of the chapter of, of that chapter 4, 1 John, says when you get convinced of God's love, you will fear nothing because God is with you. And this is why the Bible says, if God be with me, who can be against me? If God be with me, who shall I fear? For greater is he who is within me, you, the Holy Spirit, is what he's talking about. Greater is he who is within us than he who is in the world. Who is in the world? 
the devil, Satan. Greater is he who is within you than he who is in the world. Now listen to me on this. So he says, I want you to get a glimpse of that love that drives out fear. Because then you know that God has you. And then he finishes chapter 3 this way. He says, now to him who is able to do. I'm reading, I'm quoting chapter 3 verse 20. Now to Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond what we could have hoped for or dreamed. Who is that he? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Then he goes into chapter 4. What does he say in chapter 4? He says a lot of things, but I want to highlight verse 17. He says, I urge you, don't walk the way you used to walk. Come on, how many of us have been saved by the blood of Jesus? Raise your hand. Amen, amen, amen. He says, don't walk the way you used to walk. The Gentiles, those that are, that are, that are not saved, they can't see the truth. They walk in the futility of their thinking. Verse 17, you can follow with me. In the futility of their thinking, in the darkened understanding of their minds, Watch this. And then he says, he says, having their hearts hardened, losing sensitivity. See, they, they are removed from God. That's what he says. He says, continuously lusting for more. For more what? For more everything because lust doesn't satisfy. Only God's love satisfies. Is what is what. Is what Paul is saying. So I want you to be filled with God's love, he says. Not with this lust that constantly has you wanting more. And you're completely darkened. Darkened to what? Darkened to the fact that there's a better way. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. So watch this with me. In Matthew chapter 12, he goes into talking about the two kingdoms. And he says this. If Satan casts out Satan... He is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, you shall be your judges. They shall be your judges, excuse me. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now this is what they're saying here. There's an argument taking place uh, between the religious leaders and they are accusing Jesus of using satanic power to cast out satanic spirits. Think about that with me for a second. Does that logically make sense? So Jesus is saying, you're telling me that I'm using Satan to cast out Satan. No. That doesn't work. That's not the way it works, Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying there's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, and there's the kingdom of darkness or Satan. There's the kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness. There's the kingdom of life and the kingdom of death. And I come in the name of God as the son of God, and I'm casting out demons by the finger of God, is what the Bible says. The Bible says he uses the finger of God. We'll talk more about that in a second. 
But he's making very, very clear because some people have a problem saying, well, does kingdom have a, I mean, does Satan have a kingdom? Yeah, he has a kingdom. He says right there. It's a defeated kingdom. It's all over but the crying. But it's a kingdom nonetheless. And here you have the kingdom of light. And so Paul now, I'm going to go back to Ephesians. I've been quoting a lot out of Ephesians. Remember, we started chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. He talks about how we should interact with one another in marriage and in brotherhood. But then in chapter 6, he tells us about this fight. And he wants you to be aware that there is a real fight happening. Read it with me. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, some people in the church have, have repunctuated that, that statement. And they, they read it this way. We do not wrestle, period, full stop, done. No, it says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, what, comma, but against something far greater than flesh and blood. Something in the spiritual realm. What is that something in the spiritual realm? It's Satan and his forces. All of those things describe the satanic organization, chain of command, and structure that he took from heaven. And he was ejected from heaven. But he took a third of the angels. The Bible says in Revelations chapter 12 that there was a cosmic epic fight in heaven. Actually, there wasn't much of a fight. He rebelled and God expelled him. That's why Jesus said, I beheld. Why? Because I was there. Jesus was from the beginning, right? And he says, I was there and I saw Satan fall like lightning. I saw him fall like lightning. And this is what the Bible says. You battle against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So do you see what we're dealing with? We're dealing with a spiritual fight. Can I tell you, you're in a fight. Expect to get hit. Expect to have opposition. You say, well, what, what do you mean? I can remember being a young man and not realizing I was in a fight until I was, it was too late. I was in Houston, Texas, because my dad moved us uh, as we, I'm a PK, I'm a preacher's kid. So I grew up in some of the worst neighborhoods in, te- in Houston and in uh, San Antonio, because he always ministered inner city. He ministered inner city. And so I can remember being moved there, and I came from, we came from Bastrop, Texas, and Bastrop back then was like Mayberry. It was really small. It was, uh, it had just, it had just gotten the, the first Walmart. It was the little baby Walmart, you know, the little brown ones, little brown store. Remember, it was like way back when Walmart was cool. Um, and uh, I say that because everybody used to go to Walmart, you know, after school, they kind of just hang out at Walmart. And we got moved to Houston and it was, it was, um, it was the weirdest thing because I looked like I had just stepped off the set of Saved by the Bell. I had, I had orange pants, a purple sweatshirt, uh, uh, pink shoes, yellow shoelaces, and I walk in there, you know, just, and, uh, I can remember going in my neighborhood, there was, uh, 
there was a bully and he was trying to beat up my, 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 my little brother. My little brother comes in and runs in to tell me and I go out there and, and I go, hey man, what's going on? Boom! Can I tell you, some of us Christians are going, hey, what's going on? Boom! Can I tell you, you're going to get hit. The Bible promises you, you're in a fight. And can I tell you, the next verse says, get ready so that you will be able to stand your ground when the day of evil comes. Not if the day of evil comes, but when the day of evil comes. Meaning, Satan wants to steal your joy. Satan wants to steal your marriage. Satan wants to steal your your life. Satan wants to do what the Bible has already told you he wants to do. And so, you have to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty what? Power. You have to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And so I can, going back to my story, I get hit in the nose and I see stars. I don't know what's going to happen, but by the grace of God, I won. You know how I won? I always wore red wings. Much like these red wings today. I have five red wing pairs. I always wear a red wing. Everyone, I was a little kid. And uh, I happened to have shorts on with my red wing boots. Now, you know your country when you wear shorts with red wing boots. And the guy smacked me, and I'm going back, and I can't see anything. But I know he's coming at me, right? Why? Because he has me on the ropes. And all I do is say, oh, Lord, help me. And I kick with all my might. And with these steel toes, not these particular ones, I connected. I just heard, thud. And my leg was like, oh yeah, that's a home run. I still couldn't see a thing. And all I hear is, oh. And then I feel him fall around my waist because he was coming at me. And when I hit him, he goes, oh, and he's like down by my legs. And my brother starts yelling, you got him, Chris, you got him. And then he starts yelling, get him, get him. I'm like, no, get me out of here. And Can I tell you, some of us are walking into the fight going, hey, what's going on? Bam. Wake up. You're in a spiritual fight and and Satan does not love you. He hates you. Who are you dealing with? You're dealing with a fallen angel. He's not God. And he is defeated. But out of his jealousy, envy, malice, he's going to try to defeat you as well. And so the Bible talks about him in the book of Isaiah. Listen to what the Bible says. It talks about him as Lucifer, because this is prior to him falling. How you are fallen from the heavens, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you were cut down to the ground. You who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. Now I want you to think about his insecurity here. And I want you to think about his his pride and his rebellion. How he wants to usurp the power of God and how he wants to replace God. And he's he's just, um, he's just overcome with the need to be top. 
Now I want you to consider this as different from what Jesus teaches. What does Jesus teach? If you want to be head, you must be what? A servant. If you want to be first, you must be last. If you want to live, you have to die. And so it's very, very different. Watch what he says. These are the I will statements as opposed to Jesus' perfect I am statements. Now watch here. He says, how you were cut down. Uh, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the far sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the what? Most high. And God says, no, you won't. No, you won't. I'm going to throw you into hell. That's what he says. In Ezekiel, this is very, very important. There's another passage. The first part of Ezekiel 28, God is addressing, listen to me very closely, he's addressing the prince of Tyre. The prince of Tyre is a physical human. In the second part of the passage, he addresses the king of Tyre. It's very, very obvious this king cannot be a physical human. It's an immortal fallen angel. But what I want to highlight for you is this, because you'll see it again in Daniel. The Bible shows that there are these spiritual fallen angels, these rulers that are over physical territories and empower physical humans to do what they do as they as they lead the governmental structures of this world. Does that make sense? So you have Satan here that's empowering the prince of Tyre, and God is prophesying against both of them. The prince in the physical and the prince in the spiritual, Satan. So let's just read what he says about Satan. Son of man, that's Ezekiel, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre or against him, and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, and the emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbers and your pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. What does this mean? This means Satan or Lucifer is like a musical instrument. Many scholars believe that he was more than likely over the worship in heaven. Now, we'll talk more about this in a second. Incidentally, there are three archangels mentioned in the Word of God. Do you know who they are? Well, I just shared one of them with you. What does ark mean? Well, you see here, he calls him the cherub of covering. Means you are an archangel. But notice, he is a created being. He is not from the beginning. That's why he has to say, I will. I will. God says, I am. I don't will, I don't have to change. I am the most high, amen? 
So, so notice, he is the archangel who covers. That means he is in authority over a third of heaven. Many believe he was in charge of worship. When he moved, string instruments were heard. Wood instruments were heard. All kinds of harps and, and, and organs were heard. Even till this day, how involved is he in the music? People openly trade for fame and fortune with him. You know, it's interesting because you're going to hear he tried that nonsense in heaven. Didn't get him very far. Watch. He says, uh, the trading part, verse 14. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you by the abundance of your trading. He tried that trading. What? Hey, just the way he trades with musicians today. I'll give you fame and fortune for your. Oh, how many have paid with their soul in their life? How many of them have been set free by the blood of Jesus, though? Amen. I heard the testimony of the man from Black Sabbath the other day who was set free by the blood of Jesus. He says, I'll never go back. I'll never go back. Amen. But it takes him a while to figure out he's a liar. He's a liar and he won't. He won't give you anything worth wanting. So think about this with me for a second. He says, because of your trading, verse 16, by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Verse 17, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries. Isn't that interesting? He defiled his sanctuaries. We'll we'll go into that at a later date. By the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading again. Listen, you don't take God's glory. You let it go to him. You let it go to him. You don't start wheeling and dealing on something that's not yours to give. This is God's place alone. So you say he was cast where? He was cast down to earth. But the Bible just told us that we fight him in the heavenlies. But he was cast out of heaven. So is the Bible double talking? No, stay with me on this. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. I know a man... In Christ, who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know, God knows. Why does he say that? Because he's about to tell you about himself. I believe Paul's talking about himself. He gets taken into the third heaven. It's It's right there. Watch. Such a one was caught up into the third heaven. But it was so magnificent, he didn't know, am I dreaming? Am I really here? Is this my real body? Is this not my body? He couldn't perceive it. Why? Because it's a completely other realm 
and what he's used to. He says, I don't know exactly. God knows. But I'm going to tell you, it was the third heaven. And I saw things I can't even explain. Now, I want you to know something about this. If he says there's a third heaven, then logic tells us there has to be a first and a second. You can't have three without one and two. Amen? So you say, well, where is Satan? Well, he's not in the third heaven. He's somewhere in the second or first. And this is where we encounter this spiritual fight in that second realm that we don't have physical eyes to see. But we need to be perceptive in our spirit by the Spirit of God. You say, ah, pastor, okay, go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10. He who descended is also the one who ascended. Who is he talking about here? Jesus Christ. He ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill, what? All things. All means what? More than two. Here's another example that there is more than one heaven. Let me give you a third example. The Bible says in the beginning, God created the what? Heavens, plural, and the earth, singular. So when we talk about the unseen world, it's somewhere other than the third heaven. And there's two other possibilities and they're awfully close to us because it's from there that he affects us. I'm going to give you one more example and then we'll get into something else. But watch this. In the book of Daniel. Now, why is Daniel so important? I want you to remember this with me because we're going to go into right before Resurrection Sunday, an awesome sermon series entitled Jesus is Coming. This is the prelude to Jesus is coming. Now, when you hear Jesus is coming, how many of you get excited? Amen. Amen. Come on. Give glory to the Lamb of God. Jesus is coming. And the, and the enemy's defeat is so near. So near. But before that, he's going to throw a fit like you've never seen before. And so we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. Now, this is something else I want to tell you, um, that in the book of Daniel, there is so much prophecy about the end. As a matter of fact, he is one of two men that the Bible calls God's beloved. Who's the other? He has a counterpart in the New Testament. So he's in the Old Testament. Who's his counterpart in the New Testament? Anyone? John, the revelator. So John was used by the Holy Spirit to write what? The book of Revelation. He is also known as the beloved. Both Daniel and John go hand in hand to create this magnificent prophecy of human history and the, and the end. And so we're going to get into a lot of that. I'm going to make it as exciting as possible. You're not going to want to miss. But here is what Daniel says. He's getting these downloads of prophecy and he needs explanation from the Lord. He needs to know some things from God. And so he begins to pray, and the Bible says that he humbles himself. That's the key right there to defeating Satan. Humility. Humility. Not by my mind. 
Not by my power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. By His Spirit. And so watch this. Daniel is visited by this angel. And listen to what the angel tells him. The angel says, Do not fear, Daniel, for for the from from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. What is happening here, guys? I'll tell you what's happening. Daniel's getting these prophecies and he cries out to God, God, I need you to explain. I need you to to give me answers. I'm not, I want to know. And the Bible says that God dispatches an angel. And Daniel's been fasting. You can read more about his fast. We'll talk more about it as we go along because we're going to join into a Daniel fast as a church. And I want you to start preparing your hearts to join in with us in a 21-day fast. If you want to do 14 days, if you want to do um, every other week, if you uh, whatever. But we're going to do a 21-day Daniel fast that will conclude on, uh, on uh, Palm Sunday. Thank you very much. On Palm Sunday. And we're going to pray that the gospel message of Jesus Christ will expand in this community not just in this church but in the church across the street in the church over there in the churches all over that the message of Jesus Christ would be received that the strongholds would be broken that people's ears would be loosed and the veil of deception would fall and that Jesus Christ would be exalted in the earth hallelujah to the Lamb of God that's what we're praying for and listen to me The the angel tells him, from the day you started praying, I was dispatched, but I encountered who? The prince of the kingdom of Persia. No, go back, go back. Withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, the chief prince. What does that mean? The archangel Michael. Why? Because Daniel was specifically praying for revelation related to Israel. (laughs) think about this with me for a second he's praying for revelation related to Israel Michael is the archangel over Israel the Bible says remember I told you there's there's three archangels Lucifer was over worship Michael is over warfare in Israel and the power of prayer when you pray Michael gets involved and his troops get moving and then there's Gabriel the ark over, the angel over the gospel message of Jesus Christ. He's the one that brings the good news. And so we're going to pray that the gospel message would be released in the earth right here, right here in Bastrop County. Amen? Amen? Now listen to me. How many of us have prayed and then walked away from our prayer while the angel was still fighting? Oh, Lord, that you would do this, that you would grant me this, that, Lord, that you would let me know. And then we didn't get an answer. 21 days seemed too long, and we walk away, and the angel's still fighting in the heavenlies, trying to bring us our answer. Oh, don't quit until God answers. His answer may be no, his answer may be yes, it may be not now, but you don't stop until he answers. Amen? And so watch what he says. He says, Do you know why I have come to you? Verse 20. 
And now I must return to the fight, to fight the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. Do you think Alexander the Great conquered more territory than anybody else in that lightning manner by himself? No, there was a demonic spiritual being helping him. There's a demonic spiritual being over this nation. But can I tell you, Jesus Christ is over the church and he's greater still. And not even the gates of hell can withstand her. The church is beautiful. So how does he operate? I put the instead of he. How does he operate? Number one, you go to John 8, 44 through 45. He's a liar. So he's going to lie. He's a liar. Think about it. Kingdom of darkness. Jesus tells you exactly what you need. He's, a, he's straight up with it. You want eternal life? Here I am. Accept me by faith. What does the devil tell you? Oh, I can grant you this. I can grant you that. None of which is in his power to do. He's a liar. Bible says from the beginning... He was a liar and a murderer. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. He was talking to the Jewish people who denied him as Christ. Now let me take you to another passage in John. So number one, How does he operate? He lies. Number two, he's a thief. He's a murderer and he wants to destroy. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and live it in the most abundant manner possible. So in short, the way he operates is he wants to keep you from God's promise. First and foremost, he wants to keep you from coming to the salvation of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you've never given your life to Christ, today's the day of salvation. Right now, even as the Holy Spirit begins to move, just say, Lord, open my eyes to your love. Holy Spirit, let me receive your love. I want to receive Jesus Christ, I want to belong to Jesus and Jesus alone. There's salvation in the name of Jesus. Now this is important because we talked about two kingdoms. We talked about two rulers over those kingdoms. You have Christ and you have Satan. We talked about the fact that this kingdom is organized and shouldn't be taken lightly. We've also talked about the way he operates. He's a liar and he wants to keep you from God's promise of salvation. And once you're saved, God's promise of what? Using you in a magnificent way in the kingdom of God. He wants to keep you from that. So you say, okay, pastor, what do I do? What do I do? You need to understand what's taking place because I'm building something here over the next few weeks. 
There's two kingdoms and two kingdoms only. This is what Jesus said. And I know that Christians, we assent to this and we agree with this, but then we forget it. How so? We say things like, but, but I just have a hard time believing that that really nice, sincere Buddhist would not go to heaven. There's got to be a lot of paths to, yeah, there's a lot of paths to hell. There's only one to heaven and his name is Jesus. Amen. Notice, Jesus didn't say there is a way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Bible goes on to say, there is one name. Come on. Given, what? Under heaven, among men, by which we may be saved. And the name is Jesus. I had to learn this the hard way at Baylor University in finance class when I studied the wrong material. I sincerely heard the wrong thing. I sincerely studied the wrong thing all night. I sincerely showed up and worked the wrong problems. I sincerely got an F and sincerely went into the professor's office during office hours and sincerely begged him to reconsider. And he sincerely said, I'm sorry, but you were sincerely wrong. It's possible to be what? Sincerely wrong. And that's why it's so important that the gospel message be clear and open and that we fight against the forces of evil to get it out there so that you can honestly say, all of my family is saved and they're accounted for and we're ready, Lord. We're ready because I know you're coming. Come quickly, God. We're ready. Come on, that you might be able to claim the word of God that says, as for you and your house, the Bible promises, shall be saved if you pray for it, man of God. If you pray for it, woman of God. If you understand who you are in Christ and understand that God has a promise for you. So what should you do? This is where you finish. You go to Peter's words. If someone knows about having been beat up, unaware, I know something about it and so does Peter. I can remember going to that same high school. Remember, I went from a 2A high school to a, to a uh, super 5A high school. And I walk in, like I said, like I, I, I walk in just completely looking different. I want you to picture a high school during the uh, 80s, 90s, and gang violence is everywhere. And they're all wearing either khaki pants or blue dickies, solid color pants, solid color t-shirt, and they usually match the gang affiliation uh, bandana that they have, or they'll have a black t-shirt, an all-white one, or an all-blue one, and then very mundane colors. Meanwhile, I'm showing up there like pink tennis shoes, remember? Yellow shoelaces, orange pants, purple sweatshirt. I mean, it was crazy. I thought it was pretty cool, but stuck out like a sore thumb. Can I tell you, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb when you have God's coat of many colors on you. 
What is God's coat of many colors? It represents the promise of God, just the way Israel or Jacob gave the promise of blessing to his son Joseph. You are God's chosen son. You are his chosen daughter. He puts his coat of many colors. It's called righteousness. It's called justification. It's called I love you and I'm blessing you and I'm watching over you and I desire to cover you with peace and joy and long life and goodness and I plan to be with you and never forsake you. Come on, can someone hear what I'm saying to you? So when you walk into a room sometimes, when you go into a situation, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb, just like I stuck out in that high school and I showed up just as happy as can be thinking school was a fun place. And I can remember going to the band hall because I was in band. I also played football and baseball and every other sport, but I was in band. Oh, cool kids didn't do band. So I'm walking into the band hall and there's this dead hallway where not very many people were. And I saw some guys and I thought, nothing of it. Till they got in front of me and I thought, well, I'll just go around them. And I stepped on somebody's foot because there's three more here. And he goes, hey, man, why'd you hit me? And he pushes me. And then he, I hit this guy and he goes, hey, man, why'd you hit me? And he pushed me back. But meanwhile, this guy hits me in the back of the head. Can I tell you, some of us are in a fight and we don't know it. And we haven't even been alert enough to recognize Before long, I was trying to defend myself. Punches were coming from everywhere. They hit me. They knocked me to the ground. I'm trying to cover up. They're stomping me. It got pretty bad. But you know what I learned? Now I walk around like this. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Got carry everywhere I go. Thank goodness for Texas. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I have been known to care, but no, that, that's another word. I, I, I love my constitutional rights. I love all that, but, but, but we're not talking physical, right? We're talking spiritual. So now I understand Satan wants to destroy me. I'm going to share with you the most powerful thing you can do. And it's found in Peter's writings. The reason I bring up Peter, because he, like me, got beat up. Do you remember when Jesus said, Peter... Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. He wants to cut you off at the knees, but I've prayed for you. And when he's done his little thing, he's going to find he only made you stronger. Because Romans 8.28 is true. God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And even Satan will prove God right as he ends up strengthening you and your faith. Strengthening you and your faith. Guaranteed. Because it's God's word. So one more thing as we leave. Here's Peter's advice and then we'll be done. I'm starting backwards on verse 9 because I think it will highlight the most important point at the end. He says, resist him, stand firm in faith, and know that the family of believers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You're not alone. Come on, isn't it good to know I'm not alone? I'm not alone. This has been happening. It happens. I've got this. But watch this. He says, stand firm, even though the devil is a roaring lion. 
You know, Satan in his pride will roar. He'll show up and you can recognize him. Isn't it funny how the word of God is true? He roars because he tries to intimidate you, hoping you run. So you've heard about the shark story, remember? That I shamefully left Pastor Melissa to fend for the shark and I had, it's for the children, remember? For the children, one of us had to survive. (coughs) Well, this past week we encountered a bear story. And there was, uh, there was scat and there was some huge bear prints. And the mount, I mean, the, the snow is thawing and they said, hey, look out, there might be some bears waking up. I don't know if that's true or not, but we saw it. And she started getting scared and I thought, I don't have to be fast. I just got to be fast. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I said, baby, I've learned from the shark. I've got you. I've got you. You don't have to worry a bit, but let's get home quick. Um, so the point is don't run. Stand. Look what it says. Stand firm. Watch what happens next. After you stand firm, then be alert. Be alert to see if you can do identify where he's coming from because you're going to attack this in prayer you're going to attack it in prayer and he's only going to make you stronger you sober-minded realize he's a prowling lion yes he's going to try to intimidate you and have you run but greater is he who's within you now watch this cast your anxiety on the lord this means if you get nervous while you're standing And you're watching and you've identified it's him. Because some of us have to get sick and tired of letting the enemy run the same game on you. At some point, we've got to be like, hey, how long are you going to steal my joy? How long am I going to make excuses for my attitude? How long am I going to put up with the demonic forces trying to get in through the things I watch, the things I bring into my home, the relationships I have, and the, the fact that I just won't live holy for God? How long will I let the enemy kick my tail? It's time to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Therefore, I'm going to stand. I'm going to be vigilant. And even if I get a little nervous, I'm going to cast that anxiety and nerves on Christ. Say, Lord, strengthen me. Help me, God. Do what only you can do. Here it comes to the end. And ultimately, I'm going to submit myself And humble myself, which is the opposite of what that guy did. Meaning Satan. He puffed himself up and he said, no. It's all about me, myself, and I. I will do as I wilt. Isn't that the demonic creed, do as thy wilt? Said Jesus said, what? Not my will be done, but... Thy will be done. As he was puffing himself up, Second Philippians shows us a better way. He derobed himself of his divinity. He came to this earth and humbled himself. Even to the point of dying on the cross for you and for me. And this is why he says, humble yourself and experience The move of the mighty hand of God. Listen to me here. The mighty hand of God 
if there's something a Jewish man knows like Peter is the phrase, the mighty hand of God. Because the Bible says it over and over. It was with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand that God delivered Israel from Egypt. It says it over and over in the Old Testament. And Peter is saying, when I humble myself, I see the mighty hand of God. I've seen that mighty hand of God, Peter says. I've seen him and his plans always prevail. And even while the enemy tried to what? Sift me. He tried to derail me. God's mighty hand restored me. He made me who I am today. And now I got to preach at Pentecost Sunday. I got to share the gospel. I'm seeing God's hand. And I've seen that mighty hand that represents his plan. I've seen that mighty hand that represents his provision. Someone needs to see that mighty hand represent provision in their life today. You don't know how you're going to make it, but Peter is saying, I've seen that mighty hand take a little happy meal and feed 5,000. Come on. I've seen that mighty hand do what no one else can do. I've seen that mighty hand when I was out of joy and out of peace and I couldn't go no more. I saw that mighty hand sustain me. I've seen that mighty hand protect me. I've seen the power of that mighty hand rescue me. How so? When Jesus called me to walk on water and I walked on water. Now pay attention to a couple things. Who's moving where? Is Jesus moving or is Peter moving? The Bible says that Peter walked toward who? That's your responsibility to move towards Jesus. And as he walked towards Jesus... Chapter 14 of Matthew, verse 28, 29, he began to be nervous and he cast his cares on Jesus. How did he cast his cares on Jesus? Help! Doesn't have to be fancy. Help! And as before he could sink, verse 30 of chapter 14, the Bible says, what? Immediately. Jesus pulled him up. Now notice, Peter was moving towards Jesus. He got close enough to where Jesus was what? But Jesus isn't physical. We're not talking physical. We're talking spiritually. How do you get close to Jesus? How do you move into his vicinity? telling you the bible all fits together james puts it this way the brother of jesus says resist the devil same thing that peter said what humble yourself that's what he says first humble yourself resist the devil then what he will flee that gives you the what permission to draw close to god and god will draw close to you right here right now before we go any further is there someone who is saying, I, I, I'm, I'm under attack. I, I, something's going on. But I want to humble myself and say, Lord Jesus, be king of my life. I just want you to raise your hand. Feel full view of everyone. Say, Lord, I, I, I need you to be king of my life. Right here, right now, I just lay it down to you. I'm done. I am done with Satan's lies. I don't know much. I'm a simple person. But the one thing I do know is that Jesus is great and his love endures. And I want it. I want it. Lord Jesus, you see every hand raised. You see every heart open. And I pray 
by the power of your word that you would do what no man can do. That you would do it by the hand of God, the Holy Spirit. That you would fill us, anoint the hearts, wash over them with peace and joy and seal them, Holy Spirit, until the day of redemption. We're talking salvation here, guys. If you want salvation, just right there where you sit, just say, Lord Jesus, I confess you as Lord. Holy Spirit, change me and rearrange me. I am irrevocably yours from this moment on. Irrevocably yours. I've cast my lot. I've made my decision. I receive you as my Savior King, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer or have prayed it in the past, I want to invite you to do the most holy thing you can do. And that is celebrate what he did for you on the cross. This is called communion. And the bread represents the body of Christ that was broken. When a Jewish man was betrothed to his wife, he would take the cup of joy and they would seal their betrothal with this ceremony. Jesus came to earth and he sealed his betrothal to us with the cup of joy that night in the upper room. And he says, through the ages, celebrate this until I return. When I return, I will take you And on the night of our marriage to his church, we will celebrate the cup of joy again. Isn't that beautiful? He's coming back. Even the fact that he said he doesn't know the time or the hour has to do with this cup of joy. Because in a Jewish ceremony, only the father knows when the son should go. And the father will give direction when the son's, when the son's preparations are done. I get the sense the preparations are done. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father saying, Father, when can I go get my bride? And the father's saying, I'll let you know. But any moment he's going to say what? Go, son. Go get her. And we're going to be raptured in heaven. We're going to be raptured. Come on, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Until you return, Lord, we cannot wait. Mm. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, guys. I love you all.